0: Hello, and welcome to Between the Lines. On today's episode, I will be speaking with Hugh Evans. Hello, Hugh, and welcome to Between the Lines. Hi, Randy. It's great to be here, and thank you for interviewing me. Well, the fun has just begun, hasn't it? (laughs) It certainly has. Um, Before we get into the nitty-gritty of everything that we're about to do, uh, I wonder if you might be able to give the listeners a brief uh, look into um, who Hugh Evans is and what makes Hugh, Hugh.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, I'll try and do my best. (laughs) So as many of you can probably tell, I'm not originally from Canada. So um, I was born in the UK in Cardiff in South Wales. Um, I actually grew up in a military family and uh, I was posted all over the place. So I had a very sort of disruptive background as a kid. But I think one of the things that's always stuck with me is is I loved travel and I always had a very vivid imagination and I think that sort of translates into later years where I found my sort of creative calling um I did go to uh to university and I did take a business degree, and the only reason I took a business degree because at the time there weren't that many jobs available, and I figured I'd need something practical to do. But in a very sort of twist of fate kind of scenario, during my final year at university where I was about to do a, a marketing program to sort of see I could get a marketing job, um, I was uh, reading an, a magazine one day and there was an advertisement for a trainee editor and writer and it was for specialist stuff. So actually from the aerospace and aviation industry. But since I was grew up in a military family, my father was in the Air Force and I got dragged around airfields and air bases and air shows as a kid. I kind of had that stuff in my blood. So, that's where my whole sort of creative endeavor started. And so I, I got this job in London, and uh, I was really surprised I got it. I had I didn't think I had the chance, but but they liked me for some reason. And so I started there in uh, 1997. I was very young. Um, I hadn't even graduated to university yet, but I was very fortunate to get a job. So I did that for three years, and as other reference works, I got into the automotive space as well. And I enjoyed my time in London, but... I I found a calling to go somewhere else. I'd always wanted to go to North America. It always really appealed to me, and especially Canada. I remember sort of talking about it when I was a kid, about six or seven years old. And so I decided uh, in my early 20s, I had a bit of money in my pocket. I said, well, let's try it. So I did. Um, I told my parents I was going over there um, without a job, without any sort of plan, if you like. They thought I was absolutely insane, which I probably was looking back. (laughs) Um, So I took the plunge and came over here in uh, November 2020 and got my first taste of Canadian winter. And I can tell you that was an experience.
0: Well, where did you land? You landed in Toronto?
1: Yes, I was in Toronto and I lived in Brampton for six months. Okay, um, And I got a job at a car dealership because I had some automotive background as well. So I worked in a dealership and that was a bad winter. I remember the winter of 2020-21 was a bad one here. And so I really was a shock to the system. And, uh, so I, I crashed my first car into a lamppost. That's one thing I did and uh, initiated. Yeah. Got was <laughs> initiated. And then, uh, you know, had to go through multiple pairs of shoes and all this kinds of stuff. Cause I wasn't just equipped for the, uh, for the winter weather. So that was quite a, a hard lesson to learn, but it proved to be a good one.
0: Now, I, I know that there's listeners to my podcast from other parts of Canada And they're going, you have not experienced a full Canadian winter until you're in six feet of snow or, you know, blah, 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 Winnipeg, minus 45 all winter long, Alberta, you know, they get into these really extreme winters. Uh, Have you experienced that as a new Canadian? i've done a bit there were a couple of winters
1: up here in barry so i live in barry which is about 100 kilometers north of toronto now which is in the snowbelt region so they get a lot more snow there okay and so the coldest days that i remember there was a couple of days a number of years ago now it was about minus 30 35 you know it, it's cold enough where everything is really clear and crystal and all the smoke goes straight up
0: yeah so but
1: 45 50 i haven't been that cold yet
0: <laughs> we just had a couple of weeks of that out here in Alberta, so um, you don't want to. If you, if, if you want to just to be able to say that you have, it's a good thing. Um, I moved my family from the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia to Winnipeg, uh, knowing full well that in the winter they get really stupid cold and in the summer they get really stupid hot. And my thinking was if they can survive the extreme cold and the extreme heat as well as mosquitoes large enough to carry off small animals, they can survive anywhere in the world. <laughs> so yeah.
1: I think that's a fair statement.
0: <laughs> well, once you've experienced it, it's more than fair. Um, anything else you want to add before we get into the to the interview?
1: Well, I think that's really it. Other than, uh, you know, I've now got a beautiful 13-year-old boy who was born here. And uh, and I have to say, I really like this country. And it's giving me a
0: lot, even though the first couple of years I came here were very, very tough.
1: Now, so where are you? Are
0: you trying to become a Canadian citizen? Have you become a Canadian citizen?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm already a Canadian citizen. I became a Canadian citizen in 2006.
0: Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, nice. And then, yeah. Yeah.
0: All right, well, why don't we just get right into question period then, and we'll start you off with number one, which you kind of already alluded to, but I'm sure there's a a lot more to it. But what inspired you to start writing?
1: Well, I think I was always good at it in school. I mean, I always excelled in English class and and everything else. But what's interesting is I'm actually dyslexic, so I somehow managed to find a way to overcome my sort of uh, limitations, as it were. Because I think the creative aspect of writing was always something that appealed to me. And my mum was always very good at English. So she encouraged me a lot. And so that was good. And so I managed to get into sort of the professional realm of editing and and sort of journalism, though I'm basically self-taught. I don't have a journalism degree, so which has been really, really interesting. Um, And I got my way in through the back door and becoming a specialist. So in the automotive and aerospace sectors, um, doing trade publications and reference works and things like that. Um, as for the actual sort of creative process and, and sort of learning to write a novel, it kind of started when my ex-wife was pregnant with my son. Um, you know, it was winter time. I was stuck at home. I was trying to run my own business. Um, you know, it was just I didn't know when she was going to sort of uh, break water, as it were, and be, you know, having to rush to hospital. So I was just sort of thinking of something to do. And one day I just opened my computer and I opened a Word document and I just started writing a novel and it just it just came to me. So, yeah. And that was uh, in 2011, just before my son was born. And uh, I just I just started writing and I, it was crazy because I just started and it started consuming me. And I just found all these things coming through my brain and just wanting to come out onto the uh, onto the keyboard, if you like, and into the document. And
0: that's how it really began. So you opened the dog, you had nothing in mind for the novel, you just opened and went. Well, I had some sort of background in a way,
1: because, you know, at that time, and I still am today, I was very into sort of reliving my childhood, and particularly watching the TV shows that I did as a kid. And so, you know, there was a lot of old British cop shows that I was, you know, always loved. And there was one called The Sweeney, which is about the flying squad in Britain in London in the 1970s. Uh, there was another one called The Professionals, which is kind of of a similar vein where they deal with sort of counter terrorism and all these kinds of things. And there was one that came after that called Dempsey and Makepeace. And and I just really loved those shows. I don't know why, but they just kind of really resonated with me because they were tough. They were gritty. They were exciting. And I love the dynamics between the lead characters. And so I thought, wouldn't it be great to kind of have that kind of story and, and, and put it with a twist and, um, at the time as well, I'd been watching a show called Life on Mars, which was another British show about time travel, about how a policeman in the 21st century ended up back in the 70s. And I thought, well, if you combine all these things together, I thought it'd be something really, really interesting. And, and it, for me, it was really a sort of a an outlet, if you like, a sort of a personal enjoyment or release from everything that was going on at the time. And that's
0: kind of how it started. Okay, I see. I can. I can follow that thinking. Um, speaking of British shows, I just finished watching a, a, a crime show from Britain called New Tricks. Have yes, I know that? it. Yes, yes, yeah. I yeah. love that show.
1: Yeah, it's a really okay. good show. And actually, one of the guys who was in that show, one um, well, of the actors, Dennis Waterman, he's part now, unfortunately, but he also used to be in the Sweeney as well. He was one of the two main characters in the Sweeney, so there's a connection there to oh, okay, one of the shows okay. I Which watched one is as a he kid. In the show? Uh, so I can't remember, but he was the guy with uh, sort of the straight hair and sort of used to drive the, the flashy car.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: The, the yeah. Womanizer. Basically, yeah, I think so. Jack yeah. was his name, yeah. I think? I think so, yeah, maybe. Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, that yeah. was a really good show.
1: <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that too because some of those guys were icons when I was a kid, so those actors, it was, so it was good to see them again, you know, in a show, so,
0: yeah. And so that's kind of the genre you you write or – Yeah, that's kind of sort of what I'm focused on. And and just I just really enjoy that genre, I think. And there's just a lot of scope to do some really cool stuff with it. Nice. Um, How much um, research did you put into it before you started writing? Or was there any? Uh, There was quite a bit of research.
1: um, Because obviously, I'm a child of the 1980s. I grew up in the 1980s. And then part of this book is uh, set in that period of time. So I wanted to make sure I did a lot of research on that period. And and I'm lucky in some ways that I have a photographic memory. So I can still recall a lot of things from my youth. So combining that with actually doing diligent research, I I wanted to make sure that I could sort of come up with a a story that was accurate, you know, that, that people could actually relate to. And if they remembered it, they would say, Oh yes, you know what? I remember this. Like I remember going to this place or I remember having this food or I remember this ad on the TV, that kind of thing. So I really wanted to sort of, delve into that and try to get things as accurate as possible so it was a, that was a big part
0: for me was the research nice I don't necessarily have a photographic memory but I've been cursed with a good memory <laughs> <laughs> or blessed with it either way you want to look at it <laughs> <laughs> um how do you approach the writing process yeah that's very interesting because I think it's very personal so I think
1: for me it is I kind of like to sort of be in a certain frame of mind. I think there's certain days where I can feel it sort of going through me and, and days where I'm inspired to write and I'll just sit down and do it. Um So that's usually what happens. And I think there's other days when I just don't feel like doing it. And I think in those circumstances, you just need to sort of listen to your intuition and say, well, you know what? I'm not going to do it today, but there will come a day when you sort of feel inspired to do it. And that's basically how it works for me. And then once I start writing, I usually keep going. And before know what's happened, you know, an hour or two hours have gone by. And that's when I sort of feel really in the groove. So that's kind of how I look at it. And I think my advice is to sort of don't fight it. So you'll feel it, you'll
0: feel it when it's there. And you'll feel it when it's not, I think just work with it when you feel inspired to write. But those days that you don't feel inspired to write, and you carry on with your normal, regular daily routines or businesses or whatever. Do, are there ever moments of or flashes of inspiration where, oh, I need to write that down?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, and sometimes they come unexpectedly and sometimes they can come from something else. You know, you're, you're working on something completely different, but there's something that will trigger you and think, oh, yes, I must remember this. Or sometimes what I might do is when I finish that task, I might go back to the book and say, you know what, I need to write this. I need to write some more and put this in there. So that definitely happens.
0: So do you carry a notebook per se with you or you jot it down electronically on your phone
1: or? I usually what I do is I have like a piece of paper or a small notepad. Okay. And and I find those are absolutely golden because, you know, as soon as a thought comes into your head, you write it down. If you write it down, chances are you'll complete that task or it will happen. It will come true. So I think a notepad is, is really, really important.
0: But if you have a photographic memory or does it work like
1: that? <laughs> it doesn't quite work like that. I think it's just cert- certain events or certain things that, that I've experienced in my life. They just have this picture, this crystal clear picture and some others don't. So it's it's a bit selective that way. Okay. But um, there's certain things that really, certain instances that really kind of stand, stand out, I think. And and that for me, that's just how the photographic memory works and, and they're etched into my mind. So I can go back there and I recollect and I can see things and feel things and remember things and, That's how it works for me.
0: Yeah. To me, the idea of a photographic memory is that it is based on something that you've actually seen with your eyes that registers to your brain rather than something in your brain that just stays there. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's like an image or something that you do at your
1: that kind of uh, sort of visceral experience, if you like. Yeah. And for me, it just, it gets stuck and etched in my brain and it's there. But when I think about it, all that stuff keeps coming back. So I remember the day, I remember the time, I remember what I was experiencing, what I was feeling, it all comes back. So that's how it works for me. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow, that could be a, a very busy place up there. <laughs> some days it can be, I, I will, <laughs> you know,
0: I will, I'll definitely say that. <laughs> You're on the borderline of sanity and insanity, I would imagine at some points. <laughs> Next question, who are some of your literary influences there we go
1: yeah this is a very interesting question and thanks for asking this one um mine are sort of very varied i think so you know when i was a kid you know i used to read books from famous authors like J.R. tolkien obviously the hobbit the lord of the rings and things like that i was big into that um but i also used to read um other stuff as well and i think one book that really strikes me to this day is it's a book called as i walked out one summer morning it's a uh, by English author Laurie Lee. And it's basically almost like an autobiographical sort of experience about him leaving his home and traveling out to the big wide world and ending up in the middle of the Spanish Civil War. And so that really struck a chord with me when I read that book. And I think it somehow sort of inspired me in my own life to kind of venture out from the safety of home and try out new things and, and, you know, kind of just push the envelope, if you like, And I just found that book for me was a very sort of visual experience. Like I could picture what he was doing, where he was going, that kind of thing. Otherwise, I think if I'm looking at sort of, you know, popular novelists, um, I'm a big fan of Ken Follett. I mean, obviously he's a fellow Brit as well. I really like his stuff um, and it's very varied. And, uh, you know, so I would say that's probably one of my biggest uh, kind of inspirations, if you like. So I have to thank Ken for giving me the the courage to actually write my own novel and some people actually said they've read my stuff and they think well i can see a little bit of ken foller in your writing and i go really <laughs> so i think that's that's you know that's uh, I, I take that as a compliment so
0: yeah, yeah yeah people read my stuff and just say where do you get it from <laughs> <laughs> um not part of the the whole question period but um are you more of an introvert or an extrovert and does either help your writing
1: that's a really good question. Um I would say I'm a bit of both. Like sometimes I can be extroverted and sometimes I can be very introverted. So I would probably say I'm an extroverted introvert is probably how I would describe myself because <laughs> um, I I can be very outgoing. I like talking to people and everything else, but there are moments when I just enjoy the quiet time and just being on my own. And I like to shut off all the noise. Like, so the social media, the web, all this kind of stuff. I like to be at home, reading a book, listening to music. I find that is when I get my sort of greatest inspiration is when I'm just sitting quietly, reading a book, listening to music. That's when the stuff really comes. And I feel it's nice to have that. I have to make sure that I have that. But, you know, I do enjoy going out and socializing, though. Some days it's a bit of a, you know, how would I say, a bit of a, I wouldn't say a drag, but sometimes I need a bit of a kick in the butt to get myself out the door and do it. But once I'm there, I'm
0: there. Fair enough. Um, Yeah. Sorry about that unscheduled question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How do you think Canadian, how do you think your Canadian identity has influenced um, your writing?
1: That's a really good question as well. Um, And I think it's, it's kind of helped me sort of grow as a person. I mean, When I came to Canada at first, I mean, it seemed like a great idea at the time. I had really no idea what I was getting into. I mean, I was young, you know, I was dumb, if you like. Um, But I think being here over the last 20, almost 24 years now, you know, it's really sort of helped mold me into the person I am today. And and I did a lot of growing up and, um, you know, I learned a lot about this amazing country. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to just, be here and feel so grateful for the adopted country that's become my home, you know? So I think, you know, I I like to sort of share my own experiences and, and, you know, the the fact that I found Canadians to be wonderful people, they're kind, they're generous, you know, and, you know, it's a really, it's a really amazing country. You know, I think there's a lot to be said uh, about Canada. I think there's a lot of other countries can learn about how things work here because I find things work here. I mean, even when, you know, get all the doom and gloom on the news and everything else and people complaining about this and that, you know, this country does work. Um And I think it's worked for generations and it'll continue to work for generations to come. And that's kind of the message that I want to kind of get out there. And and if people can sort of share that experience with me and and they can sort of share that with others. I think that's just so important. And, uh, you know, as I said, I'm I'm proud to be a Canadian.
0: Was it easier for you to come to Canada being part of uh, the Commonwealth than, say, like a country that wasn't part of the Commonwealth? Um, Actually, I would say no.
1: (laughs) It's a hard and difficult process. Um, you have to, I applied as a, as a skilled worker, um, but I had to make sure that my skills match those that the, uh, the government and the country was looking for. And I've spoken to people and I've heard stories that sometimes it can take years and years and years before people get their application approved. So it's not an easy process um, by any means, but in my case, it has been worth it.
0: Now, I've, I recall reading somewhere recently, uh, that there is a group of people trying to make it so that the UK, Canada, Australia, and uh, maybe a couple of other Commonwealth nations uh, don't have to have a passport or, you know, special circumstances to go to school in either place. They can just interchange as if it was part of their own country. I think that's a great idea and concept. Uh, I do like it. Uh, I
1: think sort of the, the only thing is how can you execute that practically, you know, given, you know, the issues regarding security (laughs) and conflict in the world today? So I think that's, that's the thing, the biggest problem. I mean, I think if there's a sort of a preferred streaming program, um, you know, or a quick, you know, uh, fast track program, if you like, I think that's something that would, uh, would be good. I think the question is like many things great in theory, but how do you apply it in practice?
0: Just like democracy. But right. we won't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what themes do you often uh, explore in your writing?
1: Yeah. So I, I think certainly in, in what I'm currently working on, obviously with my current novels, one of the big things is is sort of self-discovery and, you know, sort of finding what's inside you, like finding out what you're truly made of. Because, again, you know, growing up, I was not always the most confident kid, you know, and I struggled with all kinds of things in school. I struggled with bullying. I struggled with, you know, trying to get things done and, and believing that I could do stuff. And I think one of the core themes in my work is, is to have that, to sort of have that sort of vulnerability, if you like, and, and, you know, that insecurity and and looking for ways to overcome these issues and, and, you know, blossom into who the, you truly meant to be. And, you know, my key protagonist is exactly that way. I mean, he discovers something about himself he'd had no idea about and ends up in a different world mm-hmm. and uh, realizes he has skills and he has abilities that he never knew existed. So I think that's that's a key theme for me. Um, and I think another one is just the importance of of belonging and and having a family or a group or a team and, and, and having that support, because I think that's something that we all seek in life. And, uh, you know, sometimes we're not always aware of it, Um, Sometimes we're forced into working with with people we don't know or trying things we don't know. But I think if we're able to embrace
0: that and appreciate it, I think we're better for it. Yeah, there's some truth to that. Every time I discover something new about myself, I find a new kind of trouble to get into. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's always that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm very good at that. (laughs) Uh, We can talk about that later. Um, How do you... I'm sorry, I'm laughing now. Uh, how do, how do you handle writer's block or um, creative uh, creative slumps?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question too. Um, and I think it's something that all writers suffer from and you get to that sort of, you know, funk where you can't do anything. And you just sit there at the screen or sit there at the typewriter or however you choose to do it. And you're like, nothing's coming to me, nothing's coming to me. Um, so my sort of biggest cure for, for writer's block is to go outside um, go for a walk in nature, you know, kind of connect with, with, with the earth, if you like. I think that's a really big one. Um, and you know, I find exercise can work as well. I think when you exercise and you get those endorphins going again, and you know, that can be sometimes a great way to, to cure the writer's block. And another one as well, I find is travel. Like if you change your environment, even if it's only for a few days, um, I think that can be a big one to sort of overcoming that sort of, you know, stuck in a rut, like I can't do it or anything else i find travel can be very inspirational to, to overcoming
0: writer's block do you have a specific place that you continually go to to write it's it's you do nothing else there but write
1: no i'm kind of more of an ad hoc kind of person you know <laughs> i'll just find a spot wherever i can and if i've got my my computer there on and it's open then i'll just write and i try and just kind of do that and it can be anywhere it can be at home it can be in an office environment it can be in a coffee
0: shop wherever I I do it. I just find a spot to do it. Which just... makes traveling to a, a, an easier thing for you as a writer because you can do it anywhere you go. Whereas yeah. there's those people who have trained themselves that this is my workspace, this yeah. is what I'm supposed to do here. And if they get stuck, they're stuck.
1: Yeah, I, I think I've been blessed with the fact that I've traveled all my life. Like I've been moving around all the time. So for me, it's just second nature. Like you just you know plop down somewhere you make it your temporary base in your home and you just get on with it and I think it's just something that's kind of ingrained to me now but I can also see the other side that when traveling somewhere it can be quite unsettling because you're going to a different environment you're not used to things and and it can take a while and certainly when I was younger um, it was definitely harder but these days i just do it wherever I can I just (laughs) find a spot there's a clear space I can sit down (laughs) let's go
0: Um, I've heard other people say that just change your focus at that moment instead of, you know, what you've been trying to work on. Change your focus, uh, you know, go do your dishes or or listen to music or watch TV, get your mind off what you're working on, and then it'll come back.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good piece of advice too because often that's what happens when we try and focus on something too hard or we're pushing too hard, it just isn't going to come. It doesn't matter what we do. It's just not going to happen. And so if we can take ourselves away from that task, focus on something I think completely different, then you're right. I think it often comes back. And and I've had situations like that too. I've been stuck there trying to think, I've got to get this chapter done. I've got to get it done. Nothing's coming to me. What am I going to do? And so I'll get up, I'll go out for a walk for like half an hour. I'll come back, I'll do the dishes. I'll clean up the kitchen. I'll sit back down again and then boom. I write two chapters instead of one. There like you go. I've, that's happened to me before. So, yeah, definitely.
0: What do you think sets Canadian literature apart from other national uh, literatures?
1: Well, I think Canada's a very unique country. Um, and sort of coming from the UK, you know, you didn't hear a lot of news about Canada generally. Um, when stuff was about North America, it came from the U.S., which I think is the world's greatest noise generator, you know, like just constantly, you know. Um, and i think I'm applauding you for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then coming to Canada, I, I sort of found that my perspective on the world changed. And I realized that, uh, you know, there's, there's more to North America than what you see in the news and, and media and TV and movies and all that kind of stuff. And being here is very different to what my viewpoint was before I came here. Um, and I think Canada's given the world some great um, authors. I mean, obviously, two of my favourites, uh, Michael and and you know, Margaret Atwood, for example. Um, but you know, I, I think that Canada has a lot of things to share with the world. I mean, it's it's a place where people, you know, make things out of almost nothing because it's a big landmass you know there's a lot of open space here and i've heard tons and tons of stories about how people came here with nothing like myself and they built a life for themselves and for their families and and i think that's a real part of uh you know what canada is and who canadians are and i think the whole idea of sharing and growing together and and cooperating that's another good thing that the Canada's given the world and i think that's reflected in canadian literature a lot you know um And that's just my take on it. And I've actually started reading uh, uh, books by Chris Hatfield, a famous astronaut, So, uh, because obviously he has an aerospace background and I can kind of relate to the stuff that he's writing. And and from what I've read so far, it's really resonating with me. So, you know, I think Canada has sort of some very unique um, writers and I think it has a unique culture which allows their message to kind of get out to the world. And I think in some respects, you know, Canadian writers have – more of an individual presence as people than perhaps American writers do, you know,
0: even despite all the
1: stuff that comes out of the U S like
0: constantly. So the characters you create or the settings that you create in your stories, uh, are they set in Canada or are they set elsewhere?
1: Yeah. So obviously being a a Brit originally, um, you know, and getting into writing for me was kind of revisiting my childhood. So, most of, of what I write is set in places that I've been. So, for example, my current novel, um, the one that's out right now, retrospective, well, that's set in London in the UK. Um, cause that's obviously, that's where I spent time. I worked in the UK before I came over to Canada and I wanted to kind of, you know, revisit my youth and, and kind of, you know, share my stories as part of the novel. Um, so that's kind of an important thing for me. But what is also important is travel. So as my, my series of books progresses, you know, the horizons expand and they go to different parts of the world. And so the idea is eventually to include parts of the world that I've been in, including Canada as well. So that's something that uh, I'm looking forward to to sharing with our readers. But um, I, I think for me, the, the concept of travel and, and moving from one place to another is, is, is a key part of it. Um, and that's what I kind of feels very important. And, and also the idea of like, you know, making the most of where you're at You know, like you Mm -hmm. you go somewhere and you plant it somewhere. This is it. You know, say you're in a small town on the prairies and, you know, it's minus 45 below. And you're like, well, I'm here. This is it. This is what I've got to do. And let's (laughs) just get on with it, right? Yeah, let's (laughs) get on with it. So I I think that's an important part of it is just making the most of the environment you're in. And that's
0: a core part of my books. Fantastic. Uh, I just want to touch on something. Before you came to Canada, what was your knowledge base or thoughts about Canada, and how do they differ now that you're living in Canada?
1: Well, before I came to Canada, and you know, when I was a kid, I mean, it used to—it was almost like this mystical place. It was like this massive, great big country. I think the traditional British way of people who've never spent time here really is they look at Canada as just like a, a nicer, quieter version of America, where people wear winter coats. <laughs> you know, That's that's kind of what their take on Canada is. But you know, the more time I've spent here, um, the more I realise it's it's very unique. It's a lot different. And one thing that I've found is is amazing is how the strong the ties are between Canada and the UK. And it gave me a real appreciation from where I from where I come from as well, and and how the the UK and and by extent I guess the British Empire for better or worse has sort of shaped the modern world, especially the Commonwealth. And and I think you know that was really important to me um and i just i just like canada like i've 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 always felt sort of safe and content here you know like it's just that's one thing i think that 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 most canadians you know i don't know if they're aware of that or not but it's it's a it's a it's a by and large a peaceful country it's a safe country and that reputation is is earned and it's justified because i think of just the way canada is and you know i think being here is just it's kind of just sort of increased my faith in humanity, if you like, because I'll, I'll I'll share a little story with you, because I went to university in the UK in a very rough town, and it was kind of the place where, you know, if you left your car on the street, you came out in the morning, it could be stripped or someone would break into your window when you're out at college and things like that. Okay. And there was always a sense of sort of insecurity and, and things could happen. And when I came here, I just found that there was – that wasn't an issue. It's something I just didn't think about that much anymore. You know, obviously there's always problems wherever you go. I mean, that's just the way the world is, but I just found in Canada it was just more of a sense of community. Like, you know, people would just drop by and you could go into people's houses and being British. I was like, well, I always have to knock. or I always have to call in advance and and people, no, 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 just show up. Just come here. Just, just, just do it. And so that took a bit of getting used to,
0: but as I say now, I love it. absolutely love it. And I know every, i not that I've been to a lot of places, but anytime I've gone out of Canada and come home, there is such a relief about being home. And I don't know if any, you know, if you if you went back to the UK, would you have that sense?
1: Um, not really. It's just a different experience. I mean, it's nice to go back to the UK and visit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, after probably a couple of weeks being there, I realized why I came to Canada. So when I come back to Canada, it's nice to know that I'm actually coming back to my adopted home. So I, I get 100% what you're saying.
0: Yeah. At this point, I would normally be staring at a question number eight that you have no idea about. And apparently, I did not get to it. So I'm going to have fun with this one. I'm going to go back a couple of seasons on, on uh, the Between the Lines the podcast. And I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you a question. If I showed up on your property in a time machine and I said, hey, Hugh, let's go. Where and when are we going and why? That's a really good question.
1: (laughs) Well, I I think I would like to go back to probably the 1950s or 1960s. I want to see what life was like before I was born, um, because I was born in the mid-70s, right? So I remember the world after that. um, But I remember my parents telling me stories about growing up in the 50s and 60s, and I would just like to see what that was like. And I think for me, like a lot of the things that I grew up with was shaped by that period in history. So it'd be good to kind of see that stuff firsthand.
0: Now, any place specific like Cardiff or London proper or? Oh, I don't know. That's a very good question. Um, I think,
1: well, from what my dad says, you know, Cardiff in the 50s was a very rough town. <laughs> so, was, so I'm not sure if it would be good. But I'm very curious in a way to see, you know, what it would have been like just to so, sort of get that sense. Cause it was a, it was a very big port at that time. You know, it was a lot of shipping and they had the docks and everything else. And, and, you know, a lot of it was quite run down. So I think it would be good to kind of just get everything in perspective. Um, I think London would have been great to be there in the sixties. Cause obviously that was a time of, you know, the British invasion and then, mm. you know, the swinging sixties. So I think London would be very vi- vibrant in the sixties. So I think that would be a good place to to visit. The fashion yeah. world of London in the 60s was huge. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And when I got my first job in London, the uh, the president of our company, he was one of the guys who'd been there at that time. And so he was a bit sort of a f- free thinker and all that kind of stuff. And maybe he'd taken too many drugs in the 60s, I
0: don't know. But uh, from what he told us, it seemed like a really good time. So, yeah. <laughs> that was the 80s for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's another story in another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um what advice would you give someone who who says or believes that well they can't write at all but want well, to well first I'm going to be a bit
1: harsh let's say that's absolute rubbish because I think we all can write and I think we can all um do what we put our minds to and I think that's the key thing is we have to sort of transform our thinking and we have to overcome these sort of you know Limiting beliefs and, and sort of negative biases, if you like. And I think if we really want to do something, we'll find a way to do it. I mean, I look at myself. I mean, I'm dyslexic. I shouldn't be writing. you know. And a former teacher of mine, when I met him years later and I told him what I was doing, he says, you couldn't bloody write. You could blood, couldn't even bloody spell in school. <laughs> and I says, well, look at me now. I've got published books and, you know, I write magazine articles and do all this kind of stuff. So I think just, you know, if it's something that you want to do, just go for it. You'll find a way to overcome it, you know. And I think half the time we just don't give ourselves enough credit. So if someone says I can't write, but I want to write, just follow your gut, find a way to do it. And you know, look for a mentor, look for someone to help you too. Because there's there's tons of writers out there. A lot of them are willing to share their time and 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 to help other writers. Because again, we're a community. So, you know, just go for it. And as I said, people can reach out to me personally if they want tips or they figure out you know, they're struggling and they want to find a way to kind of write their thoughts. I'd be happy to do it.
0: Well, you might be hearing from me in the future. Nah, <laughs> might be. Who knows? But that that question was brought about more for poetry, but like, because you know, oh, I couldn't write a poem to save my life. But I really believe, like you do, that anybody can write, okay. and it starts with one word and advancing from there. Yeah, but don't be afraid to put that one word down.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And I think I used to write poems in, in school all the time um, and just enjoy doing it. And I was lucky I had an English teacher. And his name was uh, Mr. Sargent. Um, and he saw the benefit in that and he encouraged me to do it. And so that's kind of probably one of the ways that I started actually properly writing. And uh, But yeah, just say go for it.
0: I'm going to give you an opportunity right here. This is unscheduled, unplanned. Uh, it just popped into my head and it's something I used to do. But if you could have the opportunity right now to thank anybody for what you're doing with your writing right now and they were listening, what would you say to them? I would just say thank you for believing in me and taking a chance in me.
1: Um, and I think there's, there's three people in particular I really like to sort of, you know, say thank you to. One is my mother, obviously because she encouraged me, um, and still does to this day. Um, and then two of them are my English teachers, so Mr. Sargent and Mrs. Parker, who always believed in me and uh, sort of allowed me to sort of
0: kind of get on the road to becoming a professional writer, I think. you know. Now, Obviously, um, you're still in touch with your mother, but are you yeah. still in touch with the other two?
1: No, I'm not, um, which is unfortunate. I kind of you know,
0: obviously drifted away. And, and
1: that was another part of my life in another era. But uh, I, I'm still forever grateful that they actually uh, saw promise in me and knew that I could do it despite not being able to spell and despite struggling with punctuation, all kinds of things. They they could see through that, that there was that creativity there. So I just, I take my hat off to them. And I just say, thank you so much for encouraging me to do this because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here doing this podcast today.
0: And I want to thank you for reminding me to provide that opportunity to my guest to thank those people who they uh, hold responsible for their writing decisions, <laughs> good or bad. <clears throat> We're going to move on to the next part of the show, which is really why this podcast is here. And that's, it, it's called Shameless Plugging. And, um, you know, if, if you listen to the previous introductions to the show, it was meant to introduce lesser-known, air quotes, Canadian writers and authors, and of which, you know, so many of us qualify for that, and I think too many spotlights are on a certain few names and not more names, and that's why I'm doing this podcast, so... Uh, shameless plugging and here we go what books do you or book or books do you currently have available on the market and where can people find them so the
1: book i have currently available is uh, retrospective it's uh, my first novel it's part of a series of books which feature my main character graham james um, it is widely available in canada you can find it um on amazon.ca obviously it's a big uh, website out there you can find it on indigo and chapters as well um and also you know feel free to reach out to me as well so uh, i have my own website which is huevans.me and uh, you can contact me there and i can tell you where you can pick the book up and uh we're also doing um sort of book signings across the country so we've uh, been doing stuff locally and we're looking to expand and i might even be doing one in the us this year so things are kind of really moving on up with that. And there's other books I've done in the past, primarily reference books, which are automotive related. I did one called double uh, X versus Evo, the complete history of the Subaru, double R X, Mitsubishi, Lance revolution. And uh, if people want to read that kind of stuff. And I did a book called the cars of Gran Turismo um, back in 2002. And there was a movie out recently about that. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And uh, you know, so that's kind of what I've written sort of book wise. And, um, but I, I kind of enjoy doing the novels and right now I'm working on the second volume of the Graham James trilogy.
0: And I look forward to sharing that as soon as it's ready for release. Wonderful. I, I was laughing when you were talking about all the car stuff, because it brought me back to when I was a, a new father and my, my now oldest boy, um, he could not, if you put him down in his crib to sleep, he would cry himself to the point of throwing up. So I would have to pick him up, put him in his car seat, put him down beside me, and I would plug in my PlayStation, and I would play Gran Turismo, and I was cycling through the cars that you were mentioning, and but I would start playing, and my son would fall asleep. <laughs> Just listening to the game, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, but thanks for that uh, recollection.
1: <laughs> no problem, uh,
0: amazing. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it is, but... So you've, you've covered what you're working on and, and things like that. Uh, if you had to choose one of anything that you've written, um, book, uh, article, poem, or whatever, which one would be your favorite and why? Um, well, I think
1: obviously retrospective because one, it's my first novel and two, it really was a passion project of mine. Um, and, to be honest, I, I never thought it would get published. You know, I thought it would just did it for myself. It's my own sort of self gratification. was oh, that traditionally published? Um, it was done through a hybrid uh, sort of publishing model. Okay. So I work with a company called the awakened press. Um, it's founded by a Canadian girl. Her name is uh, Lindsay Allison. And she now lives in uh, Arizona. Okay. And she married an American, but um, you know, she sort of took the ball by the horns and she read my manuscript and loved it and said, well, we think we can really make this work. And, I'll tell you, it's been an amazing journey. And to just see my book published and see people out there reading it and getting reviews on it, I mean, it's just been absolutely amazing. So I'd say out of all the stuff that I've written, I mean, the car stuff is good and I'm I'm a bit of a motorhead and I'm passionate about cars and all that. But I think the novel is really sort of my favourite and I'm excited to see where this world goes and I'm enjoying the second volume that I'm working on now. It's going to be a trilogy, so there's going to be three books in the series – and we're also looking at doing expanded universe. So there's just like almost endless uh, possibilities and nice. I'm excited.
0: Nice. Um you went a little bit into uh where people can find you, but for more clarification, can you can you tell us again and more sp- specific and even spell it out if you have to, uh, mm. where can people connect with you the best? Yeah. So probably the two best ways to connect with me, um, one is via my
1: website, which is HughEvans.me. So that's H-U-W-E-V-A-N-S dot me, M-E. Um, you can also email me at HughEvansBooks at gmail.com. So that's H-U-W-E-V-A-N-S books at
0: gmail.com. And those are probably the two best ways to get a hold of me. Okay. Now, uh, you said your books are available on Amazon. Do you have an Amazon author page? I certainly
1: do have an Amazon author page so people can, you know, check out me there, learn more about me.
0: and uh, Well, not only that, to... they can follow you, and then anything new you've got coming out automatically notifies them. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So take advantage of that, folks. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um That's wonderful. You're excited about your writing future? I think so. I mean, I just really enjoy it, and
1: I just hope that, you know, you know, I can share my enjoyment with my audience, and uh, I just love to connect to people and and see what their experiences are reading the book. And you know, I'm grateful that a lot of people have so far said they really liked what I've been doing, and uh, and they want to see more. So I'm under pressure now to continue writing. So, you know, I think that's a good thing. Do you feel um, the pressure? A little bit, um, but it's uh, not done. you know. I, uh, that's a bit daunting, perhaps, but I know there's expectations now that have been set, you see. So we've got to try and live up to the expectations. So I think that's the key part of it. And I want to make sure that future volumes that I do sort of match the standards set by the first one. So I think that's the key. Um, but as I said, I, I love it. I enjoy writing. I enjoy the stories that I create, and I love sharing them with people. So,
0: yeah. And I think that that is the key, is that you have found something that you really enjoy doing. A lot of people get involved with things that they're expected to do because they have to do, but this is something that you're doing because you love to do it.
1: Exactly. 100%. And I think when you, when you're lucky enough to find that, you know, find something that you truly love, everything else kind of just falls into place, you know? Yeah,
0: absolutely. So in in, Hugh, in closing, Mm -hmm. um, what would you tell anyone who uh, might be too afraid to take something that they've created, a a writing thing, and take the chance on being published?
1: I would say one is just don't be afraid. Um, You know, we all have fears and we all have this idea that, you know, no one's going to read it. It's not going to be good enough. You know, we're going to be rejected. But at the end of the day, just go for it. Just, you know, just confront your fears and take a chance. The worst thing anyone can say is no, right? Right. And then the thing is, ultimately, you keep persisting, you keep going with it, eventually somebody will say yes, and somebody will like it. So based on my own experience, I would just say, go for it, and never be afraid to take anything on. And as I said, if you've got any questions, or anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm always here to help as well, because I know what it's like, when you're first starting out, and you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, no one's going to read this. What on (laughs) earth am I putting together? You know, everyone feels that way, but go for it. And chances are, if you just keep following your belief and following your
0: faith and, and just not letting those negative thoughts get in the way, eventually you'll succeed. I, I think I've experienced this, at least I don't, I can't say this for everybody else, but I can only imagine some of the worst praise that we can get about what we do comes from those closest to us because they mean the best for us.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of <laughs> back to when I came to Canada and my parents said, what are you doing? You're mad. You're crazy. It'll never work. You know, um, and my friends saying that, but I did it anyway, um, because I had a, a belief in myself that I could do it. And I think sometimes those closest to us, I mean, they're very well-meaning and they do it because they love us. But they don't always necessarily understand who we are and what we're trying to do. Um, and I think ultimately, at the end of the day, we need to be aware of that. And we need to follow what's in our hearts and what we want to do. And I think when we do that, that's when things fall into place and, and things align. And I think where we kind of get off track is when we sort of listen to other people and we spend too much time focusing on other people's opinions and less time focusing on ourselves. At the end of the day, you know, it's our decision and we need to focus on what's right for us. So I think that's the key to doing it. And even though our families and our friends might sometimes say, well, talk us out of doing something because they think it's crazy or they don't
0: understand it. We need to listen to our gut and follow what our gut tells us. I'm not sure if this is a line from a movie or anything, but you got to do what you got to do. 100%, right? Yeah, yeah. Couldn't <laughs> Hugh, say better myself. Hugh, this is this has been insightful. This has been fantastic. Thank you for agreeing to come on to the show and, 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 and speaking with me. And uh, all the best of you in the future. Well, thank you, Randy. It's been an absolute pleasure. And that's a wrap for another episode of Between the Lines, the podcast. I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in today. Your passion for literature and the written word is what makes this journey so extraordinary. But before you head back to the world beyond our literary haven, I have a quick favor. If today's episode resonated with you, help spread the word. To explore more about me or read the blog or hear all episodes of Between the Lines, head over to www.therandylacey.ca. If you believe in the magic of writing and want to be part of the Between the Lines community, show some love by clicking on the Buy Me a Coffee button in the top right corner of the page. Your support, no matter how small, helps me bring fascinating conversations with talented authors and writers. Your support is crucial to keep this literary ship sailing. Please consider subscribing to be notified of any news about future content. If you have any questions, comments, or are interested in being a guest, email me at randy.btl podcast at gmail.com so until next time happy reading writing and living between the lines